Well, take your Bible, open it up with me this morning to 1 Corinthians 15. Do you ever get tired of hearing the bad news, turning on your TV and hearing about the great political divide that is, characterizes our country where we demonize and seek to destroy anyone that disagrees with us? Now we have the Mueller port, report ad nauseum. And then there's the violence that shakes our land. Fourteen policemen have been killed so far this year in the line of duty by Neanderthal thugs. And just today in Sri Lanka there were eight bombings, and among those eight bombings, there were three evangelical churches that were bombed on Easter Sunday. I want you to know, you look at the news and you see that our world is spinning out of control. But if you're tired of the bad news, well, today we're going to look at the good news. In fact, the best news that anyone can ever hear it is the good news of the gospel. I want you to read with me here in 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses. Paul said, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Now, you look at the Bible and it calls the gospel the gospel of God because God is the source of of the gospel. It's not the intervention or invention of any man. It comes to us from God. And then it is called the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is the subject of the gospel. Paul said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you Hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Now, I want us just to look at at this passage of Scripture and the good news of the gospel that it gives to us. And we're going to look at it in three different ways. First of all, we just really have to look at the substance of the gospel. In, uh, in, first, in Romans uh, 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation that, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. Now, Paul said, he didn't say that the gospel contains power. He didn't even say that the gospel exerts power. He said the gospel is the power of God that saves and transforms lives. But what is this life-changing gospel that God gives to us? Well, Paul is going to give it to us in verses 3 and 4. He says in verse 3, 4, I deliver to you as of 
first importance what I receive. He says, here is the main thing that you need to understand. In fact, here is what the Bible is all about. And he gives us the three elements of the gospel. The first one is this. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. Now, the gospel is all about the fact that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who came to this earth via the virgin birth, he did not carry Adam's sin. He was born of the seed of the woman. And he lived a sinless life. He was tempted at all points, just as we are, and yet without sin. And then he gave that sinless life as the substitute on the cross to die for our sins in our place, to suffer the judgment that we deserve. He became the sacrifice for our sins. Now, Paul talks about the death of Jesus on the cross. He wants us to understand that he died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. What does that mean? Well, it means three things. One, it means that the crucifixion of Jesus was planned in eternity past. In Revelation 13a, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. I want you to know that the death of Jesus on the cross wasn't some last-ditch effort by God to salvage sin-ruined men. After Adam and Eve sinned and after we all sinned, God didn't look down and say, man, we got to come up with a plan to save him. No, I want you to know, in eternity past, before God created anything that is, before he spoke the first molecule into existence, in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit determined and decreed that it would be through the cross of Jesus that God would save people like you and me. It has always been in the heart and the mind of God that Jesus would die for our sins. Secondly, to say that Jesus died for our sins in accordance to Scripture means that his death was promised and prophesied in the Old Testament. I mean, we could spend the rest of this morning just going through all of the pictures and promises and uh, prophecies of, of his death in the Old Testament. But let me just give you one example. Isaiah 53, Jesus, the suffering servant. In verses 5 and 6, it says, 
that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Not only is the crucifixion of Jesus that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, planned in eternity past, and pictured and promised and prophesied in the Old Testament, but it is proclaimed in the New Testament. Jesus proclaimed it himself in the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3:16. Say it out loud with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The enormous, immeasurable love of God. He didn't just sit up in heaven, look at us, and have fuzzy feelings. If that was the extent of the love of God, we would be helplessly and hopelessly lost in our sins. But here is the love of God, that he would give his son to die in our place for our sins, to give to us what we have no right to expect and could never deserve, and that is everlasting life. It is the message that resounds throughout all of the epistles. In Romans 5 8, Paul said, But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There can never be a question in your mind Does God love me? All you have to do is look to the cross and there you hear it shouted loud and clear. You go on over to First uh, Peter 2.24 and Peter said that Jesus died for our sins in his body on the tree. And then in 1 Peter 3.18 he said Christ died once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 just really sums up what happened on the cross. And that is that God the Father made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so... When Paul said, here is first importance, here is the gospel, he starts with the fact that Jesus died for our sins in accordance to Scripture. The second part of the gospel message that Paul gives, he says in, in verse 4, and it says, and he was buried. Now, why does Paul give emphasis to the burial of Jesus. It is because that the certainty of his death is the foundation of the resurrection. 
liberals have tried to explain away the resurrection and said, well, you know, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He just swooned, fell into a coma, and, and when he got into the cool of the grave, then he resuscitated and came back alive. No, Paul wants us to understand that Jesus died for our sin in accordance with Scripture. And he was buried. There was finality to his death. They put him in the tomb. Satan laughed. The demons danced. They thought they had won a victory. Paul takes us to the third element of the Scripture. First and foremost, Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, and he arose the third day in accordance to the Scripture. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foe, he won the victory o'er the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Now say it with me. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Now I want you to know the heart of the gospel is right there. Jesus arose physically. He arose with a resurrection body. As you go through the accounts of the 40 days that Jesus spends on planet Earth between his resurrection and his ascension, he appears to the disciples, he appears to the 500, and every time he does something that lets them know that it is really him in his physical resurrected body. He'll eat a piece of fish. The first time that Jesus appears to the disciples, Thomas is not there. And they, they come to Thomas and they say, we saw Jesus, he's alive. Boy, we miss church and Jesus shows up and you miss something. And uh, Thomas says, well, you know, I, 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 I don't believe that. I, and I won't believe he's alive until I can place my finger in the nail prints of his hands and in the scar of the spear tear in his side. And the next time the disciples together, Jesus appears and he comes to Thomas and he says, touch and know that it's me. I've run resurrected and I'll bear the scars of your redemption throughout all of eternity. He arose physically in a resurrection body. He arose victoriously. He arose and he was the victor over the enemy of sin and death and hell and the devil. In fact, Paul will go on in, in 1 Corinthians 15 and he would talk about the fact that because Jesus rose from the dead that there's going to be a coming day for us, whether it's in resurrection or in rapture, when we'll receive a new 
resurrection body. This mortal must put on immortality, and this this terrestrial body must put on a, a celestial body, and it's going to happen because of the victory that Jesus won. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to know, he arose victorious or the dark domain. But let me give you one more. I, let me just add one more here. Not only did he, did he, uh, uh, did he arise physically and victoriously, but I don't know, he arose eternally in that resurrection body. Jesus spends that 40 days with the disciples, and then he ascends back to heaven. And do you know what happened when Jesus got back to heaven? He was enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And now he lives ever to make intercession for the people of God. You don't face a hardship, a difficulty that Jesus is not praying for you if you're one of his children. And he will sit on that throne until his enemies are made his footstep. And when that happens, Jesus, the lamb that was slain, is going to come again as the line of the tribe of Judah. He'll be riding a white horse, and his name will be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's coming in that same body that the disciples saw after the resurrection. I want you to know, Paul said that's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. He was buried. And he was raised the third day in accordance with Scripture. Now, what difference does that make? Well, Paul wants us to understand it makes all of the difference in the world. In fact, he, he gives it to us in two ways. First of all, he points us to the security that the gospel brings to the people of God. Listen to what he says in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And that word stand means that you are, are planted firmly in the gospel. We are saved by believing the gospel. We, we are convicted of our sins through the gospel and we trust Jesus. We give our lives to him. He comes in to live in us. He's alive in us. We're living in him. What difference does that make? I want you to know that gives you the surety of your acceptance to God. Oftentimes I'll talk to people and I'll ask them a, a question. Do you know for certain if you were to die that you'd go to heaven? 
And I get a response like, well, I think so. Or I sure hope so. Can I tell you something? Salvation is much too important to be on a hope so or think so salvation. It needs to be on a know so. How do you know? If someone asks me that diagnostic question, and they say, if you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Do you want to know what my answer is? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on his dear name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We're not accepted by God because of anything that we do. We are accepted by God because of what Jesus did for us. And the fact that when you trusted Jesus, you were made righteous in him, and your acceptance is sure. Not only does this idea of standing talk about the surety of our acceptance by God, but also that the gospel gives us stability in a, in, in a slippery world. You and I face all kinds of difficulties. I mean, we, we, we go through trials and tribulations, we feel lonely, we feel discouraged, we feel distressed, and we wonder, how, why does God let this happen in my life? Why this illness? Why this financial setback? And we begin to question, does God love me? And we come back and we stand on the gospel. I know I'm his and he is mine. I know there's nothing I walk through alone because he lives in me and it brings stability to my life. Thirdly, that idea of standing expresses the idea that when you and I trust the gospel, God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in us. He begins a work that the New Testament calls sanctification. Growing you in Christ's likeness of life. And, and, and Paul said in the book of Philippians, he said, I'm confident in this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of the Lord. You know what that means? You might be unfaithful, but he's going to be faithful because of the gospel. He's going to be working in your life. When you rebel, he'll chastise you. When you fall, he'll pick you up and bring you to repentance and cleansing. He will work in your life continually to make you more and more like Jesus. You know where that comes from? Romans 8, 28 and 29. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Didn't say everything that happens in your life is good. There's bad things that happen in your life because of foolish decisions you make, because of the evil other people do to you, and just because we live in a world reeling under sin. But God overwhelmingly 
takes everything and causes our good and his glory to come out of it. And then in verse 29, he tells us what is our good. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to know, you know what the gospel says to you as a child of God? God will never let go of your life. He'll never let go of you in his relationship with you. He'll never let go of you in the slippery world in which you live. And he'll never let go of you in his deep work in your life to make you more like Jesus. And so we stand. That, that's the security of the gospel. But there, there's one other thing that Paul wants us to see. And it's really what it's all about. And that is the fact that salvation is through the gospel. Listen to what he says in verse 2, the gospel, by which you are being saved. Not everyone who hears the gospel will be saved, but no one can be saved apart from the gospel. Hearing the good news of God's redemptive love, that he would send his son to die for your sin in accordance with Scripture, to be buried, to carry your sins away, and to be raised the third day in accordance with Scripture. Now, why is that important? Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's about trusting Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus isn't one of the ways to God. He isn't the best way to God. But because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he is the only way to God. You can't be saved apart from coming to Jesus. But I want you to know everybody who comes to Jesus is saved. Now there's some here this morning, and you've never come to that place of trusting Jesus. You, you've heard the gospel, but you've never come to that place where you've said, I'm a sinner, and I ask Jesus, to come into my life. And so I'm going to ask you to do three of the most important things in all of life this morning. The first is to repent. Repentance means an about face. It means here I am, walking in sin, living for myself, in rebellion against God, 
and under the condemnation of sin. I hear the gospel. I hear that God so loved me that he gave his son to die for my sins, that Jesus rose from the grave, and he is the living, life-giving Lord, and I turn from my sins, and I turn to him. You repent. You believe. You believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus died for you, that Jesus rose from the grave, and then you receive him. By faith, you come and you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you. And if you've never done that, if you've never done that, you can do it right now. 